Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 317. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Lemon from Do It Yourself Hunter, and we're talking about finding success while DIY travel hunting and finding the right pinch points. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine and hope everyone out there had a um, happy and safe New Year celebration. Not a whole lot went on here at the uh, at the Campbell household. We usually just kind of chill at the house, 
watch the ball drop, watch some college football this year, watch some crazy games. Um, and that's about it. And then started off my year with uh, New Year's Day. Uh, went and worked out the, the poison that I ingested on New Year's Eve. I went to the uh, jiu-jitsu gym, got some rolls in. And and started off fighting into the uh, fighting into the the uh, uh, the new year. Didn't actually get any hunting done uh, over the course of the the holiday season. Um, I actually had the week off in between Christmas and, and New York uh, New Year's, um, and uh, just had some family traveling to do to kind of visit some um, relatives and things like that. And then had some less than ideal kind of icing conditions where I wanted to get to, uh, which kind of kept me out of those areas. And then. Things did warm up a little bit, uh, but they warmed up with a, a bunch of rain. And so probably just best that I spent that time with the fam and put in some uh, some fam time. So I'm hoping here uh, before the statewide kind of closure of the season happens here in the middle of the month, I'm hoping I can get to that, that piece that I want to get to and do a little bit of digging around. And uh, if nothing else, start making plans for, for next year. But we're going to go ahead and just kind of get two things today. Not going to belabor this up front. Have a super cool show for you guys today. Uh, I have on Daniel Lemon from Do It Yourself Hunter, um, and I apologize in advance. I referred to it as the wrong name, I think once or twice or something like that, during the t- during the course of our conversation. I don't know why I just couldn't get the right words in my in my head that day. Uh, but uh, he's part of a killer YouTube channel. He does a bunch of self filming, and Daniel is a um, just like a hardcore DIY. Uh, DIY bow hunter or DIY hunter just in general. Um, he's been doing it for several years and he just manages to kill really good deer. Um, pretty much no matter where he goes, it seems like, and I just kind of stumbled across their, their YouTube channel and he does it with uh, another fella. Um, and, uh, and I just really liked his approach. You know, his approach is probably similar in a lot of ways, um, to mine, but different in, in, in some ways as well. Um, but you know, he just, he jumps in his truck and travels to wherever he's going to go this year. We, we talked specifically about his hunts in Kansas this year in, in Wisconsin. Um, you know, and, and then we referenced, I think a hunt in Kansas that he had, uh, the year prior, but, and we just kind of dive into, you know, what he's looking for, um, you know, why he likes travel hunting and, uh, you know, that the types of setups he's really kind of looking for and how he kind of goes about breaking down a hunt. Cause you, as you guys know, any of you out there that, that travel hunt, you know, you don't have, you know, months and months of time and you don't have necessarily years and years of intel on a spot, unless you've maybe made it back to the same spot, you know, a couple different years. Um, and so he's often, you know, on limited time and stuff like that. And he's, and he's getting it done with uh, regularity. And I just, I, I like his videos because they're really authentic and he kind of brings you along in his videos where he kind of explains well, you know, thoroughly his kind of thought process, the strategic decisions he's making and things of that nature. And when things don't work out right, you know, he talks about those too. So he's not, so he's not hiding anything. And it's really just kind of a, an honest view of a, a working man's everyday guy going out and chasing their passion, which I think is something that, you know, I certainly appreciate. And I'm sure, you know, all you guys out there listening kind of appreciate as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a fella from the South that I've been trying to have on for a little while. We've been playing phone tag uh, over the course of hunting season, trying to get hunts in and trying to figure out when to get together. And we finally were able to make it happen. And I have on uh, Mr. Daniel Lemon. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Just uh, waiting on a little bit of weather to hit and get back to hunting. Yeah, nice. So are you, uh, are you, uh, where, where are you at right now? Are you Mississippi? 
Mississippi, I'm uh, north central, about probably 30 minutes from Oxford, which that's a big college town, Old Miss. I'm sure a lot of people know where that's at if they ever watch college football or anything. But yeah. Lane Kiffin, right? That's the that's your oh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, you know, Miss fan. Actually, I'm not any kind of sports fan unless it's hunting. Yeah, uh, that's about the only sport I participate <laughs> in or ever have. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Uh, well, I should have mentioned at the beginning you are part of Do It Yourself Outdoors. That's where I kind of found you. Is I was, right. uh, I was online, you know, watching you know videos as people do, watching hunting videos. It was probably not this past summer, but the summer before. And, uh, you know, just perusing through and, and, and stumbled across you guys' channel. And I really just kind of dug the do it yourself kind of approach that you guys take. And so I started just kind of watching the videos and, um, and you guys have, you know, you guys have had a great year last year. You're off to, you know, having a great year this year and just, it's an honest kind of candid approach to, to the hunt. And that's just, it's kind of what I like and what I look for. It's not overproduced. It's the real deal, you know? And so is that something you really kind of strive for whenever you guys, uh, when you started that, or was that started before, before you and did you just kind of join? How did that work? It, uh, yeah, it was started, um, long, actually a pretty good while ago, uh, Jeremy, that that he's the the one that started this a long time ago um he actually had the show on the outdoor channel for one year i think in 2003 or okay. two quarters mm-hmm. um and uh he you know had some had had a family had kids well that wasn't really mixing with his hunting and and uh trying to travel and do this hunt and he he you know he was specifically or I say specifically, mostly public land hunting, mm-hmm. even back then on the outdoor channel. Um, and you know, it kind of, kind of went on. He raised his family and got his, his kids grown and out of college. And he wanted to start back. I guess it's been three or four years ago now. And he asked me, he's like, you want to, you want to, uh, kind of film with me and, you know, hunt and just put it on YouTube and we'll see, see what happens with it. I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, no problem with me, and right. you know it just kind of went from there. Right now, were you were you filming self filming even before that? I no, I never have. No, uh, I just picked it up one year and and went from there. Dude, that's pretty incredible, actually, because <laughs> like you're pretty slick with the with the self filming. I I always joke with buddies of mine that that do a lot of self filming. I always start off the beginning of the year with the greatest intentions of carrying my camera with me on every trip or every hunt, and it usually makes it to about hunt four or five and i'm just like man i ain't carrying this stupid thing <laughs> and i get fed, oh man you know what i mean i get fed up with it so guys that are diligent about it man it's you know kudos to you man because and now just in watching the last i was watching and we'll get to talking about these hunts but the uh, wisconsin buck that you killed this year like man you had to be you had to be quick on the trigger on that thing you know what i mean and the fact that you were able to get that thing in frame i was like dude i would have blown that shot three ways to sunday on that one but uh oh yeah it's, you gotta you gotta you gotta be quick on your feet you gotta you gotta go through the motions enough that you could it's just second nature to you right right but uh man aside from that dude you've had a killer year just just overall i was following along like i said you know over the course of the summer i knew you had a western trip that was coming up and i knew you'd be going to a couple different states because you'd, you'd kind of detailed like all the tags that you had and we're we're, we're going to try to fill this year but man you know you went out west solo you know, I think you're with yep. a group of buddies at first, but you end up killing that elk solo. You had a, killed a great mule deer, and then you've been on a tear for white tails. Man, it seems like uh, it seems like 2022 has been pretty good to you, right? 
Oh man, it's been a it's been a it's been a good year. A lot of couple firsts, and you know, just kept rolling on with that. You know, first elk, first mule deer, and uh, went on with the with the whitetails, and it's it's been going good. Not there's still some good hunting left here in the south. You know, the ruts just fixing to start kicking off and getting rolling good. So we got got that to look forward to, and that'll be rolling on to about the end of January. So just home hunt now i guess you could say right that's what i was going to ask if you had any more you know what tags you had left to fill so is it you know mississippi or if you fill that quick are you going to try to jump somewhere else probably not i'll probably just uh stick around home now i've been gone for so long it's (laughs) it's not really getting old but you know you kind of you kind of get wore out a little bit i'm starting to get to that point (laughs) yeah no i i hear you man it's i'm completely honest with myself and with anyone else i'm you know i i love to hunt and for me the a long stretch is like a two-week stretch and then not saying that i can't go back to hunting but after you know 14 16 days of getting after it i usually need a little battery recharge for a couple days after that just i need to get a little sleep I need to take a regular shower, like just something, maybe eat some real food, <laughs> something to, oh, yeah. to recharge the batteries, man. So how long were you gone? Cause you left, uh, was it the beginning of September or was it August you left? For, for Montana? Yeah. I left, uh, first of September around the, I think the 10th is when I left. Okay. And I got back, I believe the 26th. Yeah, because it was 16 days from when I left to when I got back from that trip. Right. Um, I turned around and left, I think, the 28th of October, and I got back the 22nd of November. So that was... That's a stretch. That was a pretty good... That was a pretty good... That was a pretty good, uh, yeah, that was a pretty good trip there. Pretty yeah. long trip. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, man, what... Uh, just to kind of so people know a little bit more about you, you know, we mentioned you're from, from Mississippi, but what uh, what do you do for a living? I am a carpenter, uh, build houses, remodel, doesn't matter, whatever. Right. Um, and and that's pretty conducive for your, uh, like your, your, your DIY kind of, uh, whitetail drifter lifestyle. Oh, oh yeah, it is. I'm single, uh, you know, so I ain't got a, I don't deal with that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with it. I just ain't found the right one yet. So until then, I'm, I'm kind of a, floater i guess you could say right man it's uh my advice is i don't know how old you are but uh float as long as you can that's my <laughs> oh i will i, I plan to right I plan right to. i spent a lot of my youth as a well i say youth but like my basically like my 20s i spent as a musician so i was you know traveling playing in stu- recording studios doing that and whether it's hunting music whatever it is you know if it requires you to be mobile you know like like you said there ain't nothing wrong with having a family and stuff like that but it's uh depending on what it is you want to do you got to understand time and place you know exactly because there's you know if you want to do that there's sacrifices to be made on that end but you know then when it's time you want to have a family and stuff like that there's other sacrifices that come into play and stuff like that you know so yeah but uh so man back home you know the area that you kind of live in you know what? I've never hunted the South, and just to be honest, I, I need to get to the South at some point and hunt. I always tell myself, you know, one of these years I'm gonna, I'm gonna come South and hunt the rut, whether it's Mississippi or whether it's hook up with some buddies in, you know, Alabama or whatever that has like a late rut or with Alabama that have multiple ruts that you can catch at different times of the year. Um, 
you know, but what, what, what kind of areas are you hunting in Mississippi? Like what's that terrain look like? Is it, you know, is it swamps? Is it river bottoms? What's, you know, what's kind of, what, what's in that area? Well, there's really a mix of just about everything I hunt here in Mississippi. We got the Delta, which is flat, you know, like I say swamps, flat ground, no, no type of terrain change as far as like hills and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right here where I live, it's big rolling hills and super thick, not just a ton of farm ground, mostly just big woods. Um, a lot of, a lot of cut over, mm-hmm. you know, thick stuff. Um, but like, like you say, we have a very different rut change all through Mississippi, like our Northwest corner of the state, it'll hit around Thanksgiving starting off. Okay. Um, that rut will go for one to two weeks pretty 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 heavy and then you can kind of move down a little further uh eastward and it'll be a little later a little later i mean like i say we'll in somewhere in the state like i say northwest corner it'll start thanksgiving and then all the way down at the southwest southeast corner of the state you know it's february so mm-hmm. you got two months there that's rut somewhere in the state you could go and hunt right yeah that's that's nice man like one of the things I won't say that I regret that, but it is always kind of a little bit of a bummer for me is that in PA, our rut <clears throat> lands, you know, the typical kind of time frame. you know, at the end of October, things kind of really start to ramp up. And then those first two weeks in November, up through Thanksgiving, for the most part, is whenever things are, you know, kind of popping off. But I think the date really around here is probably right around the 14th, 16th is like the peak breeding date, if I'm not mistaken. So anything just a couple of days before that is when it's really kind of popping and unfortunately like those are the dates that i'm usually you know in kansas or in missouri or iowa or ohio or or wherever i'm taking one of my trips for the year or whatever and so i always miss the best time back home which kind of bums me out it's got to be kind of nice you can kind of you can do all your traveling during the course of the year then come back to your home state of mississippi and still catch the good stuff right oh yeah that is and that's that's one thing about living in the south you know i've always thought about moving somewhere else up north like say Iowa or somewhere where you can get a tag and hunt you know mm-hmm. really big deer but you know I got thinking I was like man I can go to all these different places which I would probably still do if I even you know if I was to ever move up there but I was like man I can leave here and go hunt say you know Kansas Iowa Illinois you got Missouri Wisconsin Minnesota you got all them good places and I can hunt them in October November come back home for Thanksgiving and then, you know, I can start hunting around here and hunt all the way to the end of the season here. So I can hunt the rut for three plus months of, <laughs> know, right? of, of a year, you know, and yeah. that, that is nice about that. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure, man. It's, it, that's one of the things I've always wanted to do. I haven't done it yet was just to kind of, to chase the rut, you know, across the country in different states like Florida, right. you know, Florida has a different rut than the, the oh, than the Midwest, yeah. you know what I mean? The Midwest has a different rut than in the south and just kind of just kind of do that and chase it for the full year and just basically be able to hunt the good stuff like you said for months on end you know that would just be be awesome because for for those of us midwesterners and easterners it's like you get like that you know flurry of you know let's just call it two weeks of magic right or maybe two and a half weeks of magic and then after that it's you're back to the grind of you know bucks not wanting to move you know or after gun season you know it's uh they're they're they're, they're pretty scarce at that point to try to find um, which right. makes it pretty tough sledding, but man, for your, when you get ready to take an out of state trip, I'm always curious how guys 
you know, different guys kind of prepare for this type of stuff. So, you know, just kind of walk me through your process of what, it, what you do to kind of get ready to go out of state. Like, how do you, what do you look for in a parcel? Like, I guess it's just start there. You know, whenever you're saying, I'm going to pick a state, whatever state it might be, let's just say Missouri, you know, for example, where do you start? You know, do you, do you pick your area based on maybe friends that you have that you've got a little bit of intel about, or, or are you just purely going to like a map and saying, Hey, where are some places that might have low pressure that I can just find deer? Well, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people ask, ask that question, comment and stuff, or send me messages asking why I'm, you know, I'm planning on going out of state, what do I need to look for. And, you know, a big thing I like to tell people, and this is, this is always, if I, you know, if I don't know anybody that's told me about an area, you know, to go look at or something like that, or I've never been there before, you know, I always tell people, I was like, you know, look for similar terrain you are used to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're used to hunting rolling hills, big timber, look for places like that. If you're used to hunting farm ground, more open stuff, look for places like that. Because if you go and hunt something you've never had any experience with before, you're, you're really making it two times harder for yourself. Right. Um, and I've been, you know, I've been traveling, hunting public land for the last seven years. So, I've done been I've been able to adapt over that period of time where I can look at anything and run it. Yeah. If it's flat ground, farm ground, hills, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I can say I I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna scout it, see what kind of sign I find, um, and and hunt it. But really, if you're if you're somebody going to a new place, just look for terrain or any kind of features of that area that is similar to where you're used to hunting. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say that's great. That's great advice, man. I kind of tell people the same the same thing, especially if it's your first trip. You know, don't make it any harder on yourself that, than you than you need to. And over time, you just start to get some confidence because a lot of it's confidence. You know, it's like in knowing oh, yeah. what you're looking at. And if you can go somewhere else, even if it's familiar, you know, you get a little bit of that confidence, and then you can start to explore maybe some things that are different. Because I know, for me, you know. I hunt flat ground around me because I live in, you know, Northeast Pennsylvania, you know, not far from Philadelphia. And so it's a lot of, not a lot of hills, you know, I grew up hunting hills, um, and a lot of swamps and, but, you know, I started going to Kansas and that was an eye opener for me because it's, you know, all flat, uh, for the most part. I mean, it's, it's got a little bit more undulation to the, to the topography than people might think, but yeah you know, the place I'd been going to is all like no trees. It's all plains. And so it's all just pretty much strictly ground hunting, which is really different for me, you know? And so I've been there the past two years and close calls, but just haven't been able to seal the deal. And it's that, it's that learning curve that you're talking about, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I just kind of threw myself into the fire, you know what I mean? And you just have to be okay with like, Hey, it might not work out the first trip, maybe even the second trip, but you keep doing it long enough, like, and you'll start to put the puzzle pieces together and it'll, and, and you'll start to see the picture. Right. And that's kind of, seems like that's what you're kind of saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, when you, when you bounce from one extreme to a different that you're not used to, it's, it's like I say, it's definitely a game changer that you're, you're just out of the groove of you. Mm-hmm. You're not sure what they do. Yeah. Um, so w- once you would find a parcel, you know, what are you, how are you defining like the specific kind of area you want to kind of examine? So, 
you know, you might look at it and say, hey, I'm going to go to Missouri now, and, and maybe you find a, a parcel that, you know, uh, tickles your fancy. Because maybe it's just say for this example that it, it has some similar characteristics that maybe you're familiar with from, you know, uh, from Mississippi or whatever the case is, or maybe something you've hunted somewhere else. You know, once you've done that and you found the parcel, what are you looking for as far as for that particular area that you might want to hunt? And not necessarily like the specific setup yet, but like I'm looking for 500 acres that I can break down really easily that maybe doesn't have a lot of traffic out of the way or whatever the case is. Like what's your kind of criteria for that? Well, I think the biggest thing I look for that, that I've noticed, you know, or caught myself looking for everywhere I, I go is uh, a funnel. Mm-hmm. funnel of some kind um like say my wisconsin hunt there you know i had had a big field kind of behind me and then um the deer that i killed he come around kind of below me but just on just on the other side of him was a really big deep deep uh drain that went down that hill mm-hmm. so it was a funnel between that steep drain and that open field and most big deer don't want to come out in the open Mm-hmm. especially on public because of the pressure yeah and you know it was kind of thick right there where he come from and it was just a it was just a funnel and the, the reason i like looking for those is just because if you're in an area you know and say big woods or you know just a lot of ground that you can't cover especially bow hunting now gun hunt's different right um but bow hunting you want the the highest percentage of the deer in that area to come within your effective range mm-hmm. um you, you want to be in the best spot that you know say 70 percent of the deer that's traveling in area is going to be right in front of you and i found funnels to be the best thing for that okay yeah i mean especially especially bow hunting right just like you like like you said it's yep. like you got to get them so close you got to find something especially if you're you know going into some of these places somewhat blind especially if it's the first time you've ever been there you know, once you get a little bit of un- understanding, it's like you might understand like, oh, well, they like to bet up on this point. So maybe a hunt, you know, maybe a hunt there. But especially if you're going in with limited time or limited information, you got to do whatever you can to start stacking some odds in your favor or else could be in for a long, you know, long couple of days of not a whole lot going on. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, once you kind of once you find that, like you find your funnel, right, or the feature that you want to kind of focus on. When you find the particular tree you want to get into or the setup, if it's on the ground or, on a, or in a tree or whatever the case is, you know, what are you, you know, I hear guys talk about the kill, kill tree or the spot within the spot, right? Like you might find the area where the deer want to come through or maybe spend time in, but what is that spot that's going to let you kill from that, you know, within that area? What do, what do you look for from that kill setup? When, I, when I'm looking for a place, and usually when I go to a place to scout, I like to find three good areas, three of the, you know, the most high percentage areas that I've heard most sign. And like I say, most time their funnels are all funnels. Like when I was in Kansas, I found three really good funnels and there was sign coming through every one of them. Mm-hmm. But when I'm looking for a sure enough kill spot, um, I want to be able to hunt it with a decent wind for me and also a decent wind for the deer to travel where it's in their face somewhat but i'm you know i'm off of it just enough they feel comfortable coming through but i also feel comfortable with them coming from that way mm-hmm. you know because they when and a lot of people like man you know 
they they always want to hunt with the wind in their face. A lot yeah. of people like to, but uh, you got to think. You got to really think like a deer. Yeah. If you're if you live and your life depends on your nose smelling to you know to keep you alive, you're not gonna you're not gonna mess up too many times that way. You're not gonna you know you're not gonna do too much dumb stuff. Right. You're gonna you're gonna play the wind. You're gonna know. You know, I can smell any danger that way. So I like to try to get over somewhere where the wind is just going to be cutting a corner. A lot of times I'll find an area, like I say, a, a funnel. I have like some trees blow down and, you know, they're coming up to it and then they're going around it. Well, I'll get back where they're not going to come through the, the, the blow down trees. Mm-hmm. I'll get where my wind's going to be good and they're going to come around it. And sometimes whenever they do that, you know that that wind may be a little off for them, but they're gonna they're gonna want to get right back into that wind. So something like that's what I really like to look for when I'm looking for that kill spot. Just something that's a little off that they they have to do it, but they're not gonna do it, but for a short second. Right. Yeah. It's almost like I'm thinking. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I might have just not seen it well enough in that in that Wisconsin video. But you know, you almost use that. You could almost use like an open field to that advantage too. Right, knowing that a big yeah. deer is not going to want to go, and that it doesn't have to be like a physical barrier necessarily. It could just be a uh, uh, a psychological barrier, right? They don't want to expose themselves. Right. So, like if you set up on the on the edge of that, right, or close enough to it to where they don't want to get close to it, you know, that could be the thing that keeps them in front of you and keeps that off wind. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, there was a setup that I had kind of like that uh, last year. That was. The right deer didn't come through, but it was, it was, there was a down tree exactly what you were talking about. And I was basically giving up the wind and he was going to have to make a mistake for one second to get around that tree. You know, if he, if he came through that day, he just, he never came through, but it was a, it was a bullet, uh, a bulletproof setup there. Um, so I, I love those types of things too, man. That's the, the off wind, like that, the deer I killed in Iowa was exactly that. Like he, I was actually cheating the wind cause he had it almost directly in his face and I was sitting on the edge of a draw in the thermal as the sun was going down, was pulling my thermal or was pulling my wind into that draw. And so I was dropping milkweed and it was just floating right by where he ended up walking in, you know? So, but when you, when you start to find these spots, when you go to look for these three, three areas on any given parcel, are you kind of looking at it to try to be able to hunt, you know, multiple winds you know are you looking at those specific areas knowing that you have a prevailing you know you know a dominant prevailing wind of like say like a southwest that like by and large i'm going to get southwest unless there's a front coming through and you're looking at spots specifically to know that you can hunt a southwest out of that or are you trying to find places where you can kind of get away with hunting multiple winds well yeah i'm i'm looking for places where you know i'm there on limited time so Mm -hmm. i can't I can't sit back and just say, all right, that's the spot I need to be, but I can't hunt it unless I have a north, northwest wind. But that's four days from now that that's going to happen. Right. I need I need three different places with different winds for each one mm-hmm. um, that that I can go to and hunt. That way I got as many many steps in the tree as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I, I, I try to find three good areas um, that, that have different wind you know that you can hunt with different winds that way i'm not ever having to sit and wait on a specific spot right um and then when you're at when you're when you're doing these hunts like because you know i know at least for me some 
you know, when I'm going, when I'm going to a brand new place, you know, whenever I'm accessing somewhere, always trying to keep the wind in my face when I'm accessing stuff like that. But sometimes if it's brand new to me, I don't know what my, I don't know if the access I'm using the first day or two is right, the right access or not until I use it, you know? So I guess talk to me a little bit about how you kind of look at access on these places where you have maybe limited knowledge about and how, how your access might need to change once you kind of do a sit or two. Well, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, I try to, when I'm scouting somewhere and I go in, I find sign. I try to find an area to come in that I'm not finding much sign at. You know, say there's trails running, say, east and west or something. You know, I'll try to come in from the north or south, depending on that wind. Um, and I just try to come in from what looks to me like the least, you know, possible place a deer would come from while I'm there. Right. Um, and I have, I have been to an area and, uh, walked right through a spot, you know, and got in a tree and 30 minutes later had deer walk by and they never smelled it. Right. <laughs> um, a, a lot of times if you just keep like any of your clothes or anything from touching any little uh, brush or any any kind of anything laying on the ground as long as you just put a foot down and keep walking and go through there fairly quickly i've had a lot of times a deer walk right through it with their nose on the ground and never smell right yeah especially when you get into that good time of year when they're not thinking right you know what i mean right they're, they're willing to they're willing to uh if it doesn't seem super out of place you know especially when you're hunting public right like there's a chance someone three weeks ago may have walked through that area. Right. And so those deer to some degree are conditioned to a degree, probably that look, they're going to have a little bit of human scent around them. And as long as it's not terrible, they may tolerate it. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Which buys you a little bit, a little bit grace in in that regard. But it sounded like you kind of answered, like as you were kind of talking, I was thinking I wanted to ask you and kind of answered it a, a, a little bit, but you know, would you describe your hunting style? Do you consider yourself to be kind of, a conservative kind of bow hunter, or do you think, do you consider yourself to be more aggressive that, you know, when you find the right stuff, like you just, you just kind of dive right in, or do you kind of want to observe first and kind of see what's get the lay of the land and see what's happening? What's your kind of approach to that? Well, it kind of depends, kind of depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times I like to go in an area, um, and kind of just sit back and watch. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm like, you know, I need to be in there. And, you know, it's hard for me to explain because I really don't, I don't think about, you know, somebody asking a question like that when I'm doing it. I just do it. So I really don't know how to say what kind of area that I would just dive straight into or what area I would sit back and watch and see what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely, I do kind of both. Mm-hmm. Um depending on the situation right right I, I know for me if it's a high pressure area i'm probably more aggressive 
because I know that if yeah. I think there's a deer in an area, it's like if I don't go in now and just on the right weather day with the right wind, I may or may not see him today. But I know for sure if I don't go in today, there's going to be people in there within the next two to three days. And if he's in the area, he's likely not going to be there for very long. You know, yeah. so in those situations, I'll just kind of dive bomb right in. If I feel like I got a little spot that's a little hidey hole that no one's bothering and I know there's a deer there, then I'm going to probably try to time it and wait to until I have a little bit of info and then try to make the, make a move, you know, or if I can see a long ways like Kansas patient there, I'm, I'm, I do probably, a, yeah, I would be curious what your approach is there, but I do a lot of just observation, like glassing there and then try to watch and see what they're doing. And then once I kind of say like, okay, I think I know what they're doing. Then I kind of make, make a move. And then at that point I will jump up all into their business. But prior to that, I'm going to let them kind of have the run of the land a little bit until I kind of get an understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I can see definitely. I, I, that's probably what I would do out west, sure, and that more open stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just sit back and watch and kind of, because there's a difference in, say, hunting there and hunting here out there. You you know, you can see so much. Yeah. You can watch and see what those deer do. Uh, and if they do it two or three times, uh, you know, you can make a plan to get in there and hunt right. that area. The the part of Kansas that you yeah, I don't want I don't want GPS or town <laughs> coordinates or town, <laughs> but the area the part of Kansas that you're that you're hunting I just noticed from the videos it seems like there's you know there, there's trees around I guess I'll, I'll I'll say so what's and you know people think of Kansas as flat it's it has different kind of you know habitat and terrain topography depending on where you're at you know part, what part of the state you're in so what does what does the area that you hunt kind of look like just from like a topography kind of perspective? Cause I know I've seen like you in trees and in, in those areas and the places that I've been, like there's just, there's, I mean, there's locust trees. If you want to, if you want to get all stuck up with a bunch of thorns, you, <laughs> you can climb, but otherwise, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you're probably better off being on the ground. So what's that area of, of Kansas that you're in kind of look like? It's a, it's a lot of rolling hills. It's a good mix of a lot of a lot of farm ground and you know rolling hills and and timber. Um, I'm trying to think what it could remind me of. Kind of reminds me of a, maybe Illinois, something like that. Okay. Sort of rolling big farm. You know, it's crop grounds. Your crop grounds would be up on your hills, side hills and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it re- it reminds me a lot of Illinois. Probably the, the best description I guess I could say about it. Right. Um. But, you know, and I, the area I hunted, I don't think there's no, like, sure enough giant, giant deer there, mm-hmm. which, I mean, the one I killed, I consider a really big deer. But yeah. uh, a lot of people I talked to in that area, like, you know, man, they's like, you know, 130, 140, that's pretty big deer around here, mm-hmm. you know. So, so just going off of what, you know, people that lived around there told me, uh, and kind of what I found, you know, I don't, I don't see no super giant deer in that area. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they certainly got them in, got them in places. Um, I guess last year when, when Chad and I went out, he, he ended up killing a Boone and Crockett deer on like the fifth day of the hunt or something like that, which was, uh, which was pretty wild. I mean, it was literally the biggest deer I've ever like put my hands on before. You know what I mean? Really? And, uh, yeah. it was pretty, uh, it was it was pretty unreal. And I, and I've seen a couple big ones, you know, out there. I've yet to, you know, lay one down, but you know, that's why I keep kind of going back to the place I've been going to is because I've seen, I've put, I've laid eyes on like some of the bigger deer that I've ever seen, you know? And so I keep kind of going, uh, keep going back to that area. But the downside of it is, is it's all off the ground. 
And so, yep. you know, you know, as well as anybody, it's like any mistake you make on the ground is just magnified by like a hundred, you know, it's like if you, oh, yeah. if you ain't playing the wind just right, or you don't have the right side, you know, uh, horizontal and vertical cover. If there, if there's sun shining on the spot you're set up in versus being in a shot, like all that stuff, right. It's just, it's all, it's all heightened, which makes it a little bit more, you know, a little challenging, but you know, yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a ton of different, different stuff that happens on the ground for sure than in, than in a tree. You can get away with a lot more in a tree than on the ground because you're at their eye level. You're where they're looking yeah. 90% of their time, yeah. you know. And they're so good at picking up movement. Like, they will just, you know, they will pick that stuff up off the ground so quick, like from so far away, too, that it's it's kind of unreal. Um, how much time yeah. do you spend hunting off the ground? Do you have some, do you have some areas that you like to, like to get in on the ground? Not really. Mm-hmm. You know, if I went probably more west and hunted, I probably would more that that kind of ground you're talking about. But mm-hmm. for around here, you know, like like I grew up hunting and kind of how I hunt other places, you know, around here you don't hunt on the ground because it's a thick. You got to get up where you can see. Mm-hmm. So not really a, a ground. Not never really hunted the ground a lot, especially with a bow, mm-hmm. because deer in the south. I mean. They live somewhere. They they remember everything that's in the woods. If there's anything that's a little change, they notice it. I guess yeah. it's like like say in your house, you, you come in and there's something moved. You you've lived there. You've been there. You're like that, so, that's not supposed to be there. Right? Someone moved the couch. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been moved an inch. You know something's wrong. But a deer, especially in the south, they like they'd be coming through there and they won't even be looking at you. And all of a sudden they 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 just turn their head and they're looking right at you, like staring into your soul. You're like, man, how did you know I was here? But, right. Right. Uh, I've never really come to a, a ground approach okay. very much, especially with film because it's just so oh, yeah. so difficult. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I mean, you did you did plenty good enough uh, in Montana off the ground though with that elk and mule deer. I mean, that's a ground game oh, there, right? So it was. It was. Uh, I I was never you know messing with the with my big camera, which I man I really wish I'd have had it on the mule deer because going back and looking at that at what I done, you know, I was I've never never been familiar with say alfalfa or how tall it grew or anything. It didn't look very tall to me. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're probably talking two foot tall. Mm-hmm. Um and once I got up there and got in that little uh, that little pivot ditch and was crawling up, you know, I had plenty of room to be able to set the camera up and video and man, that would have been great to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, just taking the cameras out of something you know, in hunting is a big game changer, but I love doing it. Right. I was going to say, you probably almost felt free in Montana. Not, oh. You know what I mean? Just like, it was just like, I'm hunting now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to trying yeah. to get everything on, on film and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, yeah. so you, you like to pick out these three spots and I, I really like that, that approach. So when you go out, you know, for one of these hunts, how are you splitting your time hunting versus versus scouting i mean when you get there do you just say let's say you're on a five-day hunt just i'm making up making stuff up let's just say you're on a five-day hunt do you go look i'm gonna scout the first two days full days unless i come across just undeniable like this is a spot i'm gonna set up right now or do you kind of scout slash hunt each day and just kind of you know hunt wherever the sign is that particular day until you find those three areas oh Pretty much when I get to the area, first day is going to be no tree set. It's going to be on the ground. Mm-hmm. 
scouting, looking, finding what I what I want to find. If I do not find my three areas the first day, I will scout the next day, second day, until I find, you know, my three areas that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I start hunting. Uh, but I, I want to find my three areas. Okay. You know, whether that takes me a day, two days, three days, I want to find those three areas mm-hmm. uh, first before and- I start you know, committing to a, a certain spot or con- commit to the area and hunt. Like if I go in and find one spot, I'm like, oh man, this is the spot. I want to hunt it. And, you know, I don't look for my other two spots and I hunt this area for say two or three days and I'm not seeing what I expected to, then I got to start all over again and go to scouting again. Right. So that's why I try to find my three areas, you know, before I ever start sitting in a tree hunt. Right. Do you now? You mentioned earlier that you're really kind of looking for funnels, you know, because you're trying to get those, you know, increase your odds of 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 the right deer kind of coming through an area. But yep. you know, you might have multiple funnels that you might want to check, and like you're trying to find the three areas that you want to prioritize. You know, what type of sign, like what's got to be in that funnel to tell you, like this is the spot that I want to, you know, want to be? Is it? It guys like different stuff, you know, like for me, for example, I'm a scrape guy. Like I love being able to find like a big like community scrape or something like that. Those are kind of my preferred spots. I have another buddy. He's a big rub line guy. That's what he likes to hunt, you know? Um, so I'm just curious, what is it that you need to find in that, in that particular area? Well, scrapes is probably my number one thing, mm-hmm. especially when you find, like you say, a big community scrape where you can tell there's, not just one buck doing it, several bucks doing it. Right. Um, that kind of tells me, you know, there's, there's deer's going to come through here. That's going to check this. You know, it may be a one time deer that comes through this area, just cruising, looking, but he, he probably knows where this scrape is at. He's going to come check it, mm-hmm. you know, whether he comes, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of people talk, you know, YouTube and stuff about, you know, having cameras up and they get pictures of a deer come to an area one time a year mm-hmm. and just come through there. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the reason I like looking for, for areas, funnels with scrapes like that in that area, mm-hmm. because it may be a one-time deal that deer is going to come through there, you right. know? Yeah. It may be once a week, maybe once a month, but if he, if he's going to come through there, he's just about going to come to that scrape. So that's why I look for those. Right. I almost feel like, and I'd be curious what you think about this, but like I've run a lot of cameras on on scrapes, you know, typically around around here and sometimes out of state. Like I've had them in Ohio and I've had I've had some cameras on scrapes in Iowa whenever I was pl- going out there to hunt and stuff like that. And and I've seen that and actually this played out this year in in Pennsylvania. I have a big community scrape and there's one buck that I got on it one time and it was at the very beginning of the season. This is a big community scrape. It gets used all year round. Like I have deer hit it through the winter, spring, summer, fall, doesn't matter what time of year it gets hit. It just ramps up activity as you get to like the middle of October on, it gets a little bit more um, hot and heavy. And this buck hit it one time and I didn't have a bunch of good deer in the area this year for me to hunt, but he was one of the ones that I was like, if I see him, I'll kill him. And so the prime date for this particular scrape every year is around the, like between like the 15th to the 18th, right? Never did I see him on camera again. Still haven't got him on camera again all season, right? I went and set up. A buck came in, a shooter came in, left, kind of oddly left. And then I didn't see this other buck come in, but I ended up seeing him bedded a little bit later in the same spot. And don't you know, it was that same deer I had on camera, only ever had on camera once. And he was bedded not 40 yards from that scrape downwind of that scrape, just hanging out, checking it. 
waiting for does to hit it to see if anyone was going to hit it. And so I sometimes, I, I often think, especially just observing that, and I've talked to like my buddies like Nathan Killen, who kind of, they hunt off the sign because they feel like bucks so often will skirt that sign and just scent check it from afar. And that was the first time that I've kind of visibly watched a buck bed downwind of a scrape and never, because if he would have walked to that scrape, I would have killed him. But when he got up and went, I watched him bed for two hours, he just got up and walked north and walked away. And that was it. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you think in those areas, if you know a buck has hit that scrape once, do you feel like you got to wait for his pattern to come back to check that scrape? Or do you feel like he could just be in the general area and scent checking it with the wind and just staying off the scrape, you know, ever so slightly? Oh, yeah, I definitely think that. Yeah. I definitely think they scent check scrapes. And that's why I try to, I want to be within range of that scrape if mm-hmm. I can. Um, but I want to be on the downwind side. Right. Because like the deer I killed in Kansas had a, a north wind and it was coming from my left to my right. And he come in, you know, on my right side mm-hmm. and the scrapes were on my left. Uh, and he was, he was just coming down through there. I, I, I know for a fact that's what he was doing. Uh, right. Just sent checking scrapes. Yeah. But I like to, I like to try to sit on the downwind side where I can still shoot to the scrape. Um, because if they come up wind, they're going to come to the scrape to check it because they can't smell it you right. know, up right. wind of it. Yeah. And, uh, I like to be able to, you know, to shoot to the scrape and then further down that way, you know, most of the time they're going to come within 80 yards of the scrape, majority of the time on the downwind side. Right. So if I get 30 to 40 yards from it on the downwind side and I can shoot another 30 or 40 yards on to the downwind side of me, I can just about cover that, that area that they're going to scent check it. Right. Right. Yeah, it's uh, and that's about the that's about the yards that I've heard other guys kind of talk about. Because I know Nathan, you know, he'll often say, you know, he'll sit, he'll find big sign, whether it's a, um, he's from Virginia, um, you know, he hunts the big woods there, and you know, he'll find, you know, whatever his big rubs, big whatever it happens to be, but he usually will sit, you know, in an area that that deer will have to travel through that's about sixty yards away from where that sign is. And that's usually kind of where yeah. he, where he sets up a, you know, a lot of the time, but so how are, do you use trail cameras at all on these trips? And if, and if so, like, how are you kind of, you know, deploying them? Cause you know, it's such short kind of stints, right? Like it's a week or however many days, you know, so do you put trail cameras out? And if so, like, how are you using them? What, what's the value to you in, in using those? Well, I, I'll use them, uh, where you can, there's, you know, there's several States that you can't use, uh, cameras, especially cell cameras, cell cameras, is what I, what I take with me. Mm-hmm when I go because I don't want to have to go back in there and check that I want it to be able to tell me what's coming through there while I'm off scouting or hunting somewhere else. Yep. Um, and the, the reason I like using them mostly, and I know a lot of people are kind of against, against cameras, especially cell cameras, but if I'm going somewhere and say it's somewhere I've never been or don't know what kind of deer's in that area, I want, you know, my cameras out and I usually put maybe two or three. I don't want to get too many because if I get too many, then I, I'm, you know, I don't know where I want to be or where I want to go or what I want to do. Or right, you spend a lot of time getting... checking cameras and not hunting, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 you can. You really can. If you get several deer on camera, you're like, oh, do I need to go hunt this today or that one, especially for decent deer? And you're like, do I want to go hunt this or that? Right. But the reason I like having them out is it'll kind of tell me what kind of deer is in the area. So, you know, is, is it going to be a place I need to wait on a, a sure enough good deer or you know it's maybe a 120 inch deer a good deer which i mean 
what I what I like to look for is when I'm hunting is a three and a half or older deer. Because mm-hmm. that on public land, three and a half is a is a he's a mature deer. He's yeah. he's he's been hunted. He's, yes, he's run into people <laughs> several times. That's right. Um, but anything in that category. But there's some there's some areas you know that a three and a half year old deer could be a a 130 140 inch deer, and then there's some areas that a three and a half year old deer may be a hundred inch deer mm-hmm. or 120. So that's kind of the reason I use them is to like, okay, I'm on a trip. Do I want to wait or do I not? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually take a couple with me, you know, and I'm similar. It's like, if I can use a cell camera, I will, as long as I have, yeah. you know, cell service. And I use it the same way you do where it's like, I just want to be able to set it out and I want it to be able to tell me that way. If I'm out scouting or if I'm hunting somewhere, if there's an area it's heating up or there's a good buck that's in that area, then I know that maybe, Hey, the spot that I've been hunting in or I scouting it, maybe I need to abandon this spot and I need to spend some time over here. Um, yep. I think where it gets, and I don't have any problem with them, obviously. I think where it gets a little, I think where people have some issue with it. And I think rightly so is if someone's waking up in the morning and they get instant alerts, you know, and it's like, you know, they got a picture of a, and it's a big funnel or something like that. And maybe they live on the property. And it's like, they get a picture and it's like, Hey, I can be to that, you know, that tree, um, 300 yards away from him where he's going to want to walk to, you know, and beat him there. It's like, then, yeah, a little bit cheating there, you know what I mean? But if you're just, oh, you, yeah. you know, if, if someone's just using it for inventory to, you know, to not have to walk in and lay down more ground scent or, you know, spend time checking cameras that they could spend time scouting or whatever. Like to me, that's the real value in them because using them the other way of trying to time stamp a deer and kill him, you know, 30 minutes later, I, I don't know how feasible that is just generally speaking anyway. Um, so I think it's a waste of time. I think using them to not booger up an area, you know, and, and be able to use your time doing something else is, is the best way to use those. Right. Yep. And that's, that's the reason I like using them is because like you say, you can go in an area and put it up and then you don't have to go back and pull the car to check it. And, you know, I can be sitting here and like, okay, there's, you know, there's been three bucks get this in the last day, you know, they're using it. I need to be in there. Yeah. Um, like yeah. when I was in Wisconsin, I had a, a pretty good buck come through two mornings in a row. It wasn't the same buck that I killed, but it was a, it was a good deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know what? Two mornings in a row, he's, he's come through this spot between seven thirty and eight o'clock. I was like, you know, I need to be there. There's bucks traveling that. And I had several doe pictures at night. I was like, you know, there's does coming through there. And that buck's been coming through there looking. I was like, I need to be there because, you know, they're coming through there looking. So right. that's, that's what I love about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that that's a good transition to talk about the Wisconsin, the Wisconsin hunt. Cause I, I, I watched that video and it was killer buck, man. But I was just curious. Cause I, I mean, I knew you're from, from Mississippi and I, I knew you hunt all, all over. Um, but I was just curious for you, you know, what was, was there any like unique challenge or was there something different about hunting Wisconsin, you know, versus maybe some other places that you've hunted that makes you, uh, that makes you, uh, Wisconsin unique. Cause Wisconsin is one of those States that I've not, that I've not been to yet. Well, you know, Wisconsin, you can, you, you got a lot of different terrain you can hunt. Uh, I like hunting the, the big, sure enough, big hills, but mm-hmm. you can get on say the rivers and stuff and it's kind of flat. You got marsh and stuff to hunt. And, uh, I've never been a really a big flat land hunter or mm-hmm. marsh swamp area hunter. But, I mean, I can hunt it if that's all I got. But, man, to me, I just love the big hills, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and you know, I, 
being able to play the wind is definitely kind of difficult, definitely more challenging playing the wind in the hills. But, you know, I just really like that kind of, that kind of terrain and stuff. Right. So the area that you, that you ended up hunting, you know, I, I know from watching the video, you hung a camera and there was some deer coming through that area, but what kind of, you know, going back to what you had talked about, like you're, you know, you're, you're looking for these funnels, you know, and you're looking for these three areas. Um, what led you to this particular, um, to this particular spot? Let's say before you put a camera up and you knew that there was, you know, a, a buck that was coming through pretty consistently, what led you to that spot just in general? Uh, well, the year before, cause I, it's actually two years in a row I've been there. Oh, okay. Um, the year before I found this spot and there were some really good trails coming through this area. And, uh, I, when I went back this year, I was like, I'm just going to go check that spot and see what that looks like. I went in there and there wasn't as, it wasn't as big a trails, wasn't near as defined a trails as there were last year. Um, but you know, there were still trails coming through and what really, really stood out about it is there was this thick ridge that kind of run east and west really thick i mean you couldn't you couldn't see in it it was so thick um but these trails all run on the kind of the north side of this thicket hmm. and uh and and you could tell they wasn't going in the thicket they was down below i was like you know what that's gonna be that's gonna bucks are definitely gonna try to use this mm-hmm. you know because we got the funnel we got the steep steep drain going down that they ain't going to want to cross on and we got the field i was like they're going to come through here and come around this thicket you know checking it right and uh the day i killed that deer it was a i think it was a southwest wind so and i was playing that and he you know it was just kind of going just to the right of where he come from but he had to come around and he actually had to come in from the northeast so or no not northeast northwest mm-hmm. so it got off for him just a little bit. You I was going to say he had to give that Yeah, he had to give that wind up just for a second, right? Because those trails you said were on the north side, right? Right. Yeah. Right. He had to give it up just for a second and come around. And you know, when he turned back, where he was going to turn back and go, he was going to be right back. You know, wind was going to be right back in his face again. Um, but that's that's really the reason I went back there, just because I had scouted the year before and, and found good sign, and I wanted to see what it looked like again mm-hmm. this year. Right. And, uh, and, and so, so you end up, you end up finding, you know, the, the sign was holding true from year to year. You end up hanging a camera in that general area and you had that one good buck that was coming through there pretty, pretty consistent. And that was kind of the, the sealer for you, right? Like, you know, the, the signs there, it's, it's a funnel, right? What you're looking for. And now all of a sudden I've got proof of life that wants to consistently be in that area, regardless of whether that buck comes through or not. I know that it's, it's being used. And that was kind of the, the nail in the coffin to go back and, and put that hunt on, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Because yeah. you get in an area like that, you know, it's it's not like hunting on, you know, say private land mm-hmm. where you got cameras out and you're like, okay, you know, there's so many bucks I've had on, you know, I say I got three or four bucks I've had in this area all year and there's only one good one. You know, say a place like that, special public, you don't know what's there. There might be, 10 bucks come through there and several of them could be really good deer because they come from so many different areas and they get pressured so much. Right. You know, and that, that's the reason I like knowing that bucks come through there and then go back there and hunt because you never know what's going to come back through there. Right. Right. And so then how, so you were talking about that, that buck was coming from the Northwest. So, and just watching the video, like 
it seemed like he got on you pretty quick. And so how did that, how did the hunt and, you know, that all like the, the shot and everything kind of play out? Well, I had been, I had been sitting there because it was getting warm that day. We were fixing to have a, a pretty good warm spell here. It was going to be like in the seventies. Hmm. Um, and that was the last morning of decently cool weather we was going to have. I think it was in the upper thirties maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was there. I was actually looking on my map, just looking at some other places. Cause I've, I was going to go look at a couple of other places with the warm weather because we was going to have another front come in in a couple of days. So I was just going to kind of bounce around and look, see what else I could find. Because, I, I mean, I'd already had my three spots found, but I was just wanting to kill some time. I didn't want to go hunt in a good spot right. while it was so warm. Um, and I was just sitting there kind of looking at my maps, and I heard something. You know, I could tell it was a deer walking. There had been squirrels all morning, and I, and there's definitely a difference hearing a squirrel in the leaves than there is a deer. There is, yes. Uh, yeah. Different rhythm of the way they walk. Mm-hmm. And I and I heard that, and I I picked my head up. I was looking, trying to figure out where it was coming from. And I I just I looked to my right, and I just seen him coming down. As soon as I seen him, I knew he was a, a mature deer shooter. And that's when I grabbed cameras. You know, I was hitting buttons on cameras, grabbed the bow. <laughs> and uh, my bow, actually, it hung on my hanger. And when it did, it made a little noise, and he stopped. Mm. And that's about the time all the cameras came on and started recording. And I had to reach up there with my right hand and, and get my bow off the hanger, and I just had to spin, like, really fast motion, draw, and stop him, because that was, that was the end of my shooting lanes. I had no other shooting lanes past that spot. And uh, and he was barely in it when I shot. I had to shoot through that limb a little bit, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it... uh. It was really fast. I mean, it, it happened within ten seconds. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Just in watching it, dude. Like when you, when the, I mean, the cameras flipped on. You were getting your 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 bow off the hanger. I was looking at it and I was like, oh, there's no way he's gonna pull this off. Because <laughs> like how quick it was gonna have to happen, dude. And you ripped that shot off with a quickness. Like I was just, you know, I was surprised that how quick that it that you you know, how quickly you were able to pull all that off. And you're shooting a back tension release too, right? Well, I think well, I may have been shooting my thumb release then. I can't remember. Uh, but, I man, I play around with, with releases all the time. I probably got 10 different ones. Oh, do you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I got a bunch of them. But I like to practice a lot with the back tension, but I like to hunt with a thumb. Okay. Um, just because it can be faster, but it's still got that similar, you know, focus, aim, squeeze if I have to. Right, you know? right. Especially like the like the mule deer with him being way out there, it was that focus, aim, squeeze. But then you got you know situations like the Wisconsin where you know you got to get the pin on and go now because it's too fast. Right, right. Nice. So then I want to move to the to the Kansas hunt now. So you know, kind of similar question to start. What unique challenge you know or what's different about hunting kansas than other places you that that you've hunted like what's different about kansas that you have to kind of think differently or that you have to approach differently well i guess they really wasn't a whole lot different Mm -hmm. uh different ground i guess you could say right um because i was hunting river Mm -hmm. um so, so completely went from you know big hills of wisconsin to a river hunting a river um, with a boat so one thing about hunting with a boat is you don't have to go nearly as far you know into an area i was just going to ask you that because i've seen you do some water access and it's one of my favorite ways 
to get in in and out of places. Do you, when you're going to go, you know, and this is kind of off, off topic here, but we'll get back to the Kansas thing in, in a second. But when you're going out of state somewhere to hunt, do you look for water access as maybe like a place that you'll kind of prioritize over another place because you know, it just cuts down on the, the amount of foot traffic that you're going to have to deal with? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, I like taking it. It's just, it's just a, another weapon in the arsenal is what I consider it because, right. you know, may go to places, you know, like, like the Wisconsin went there, there was places I could hunt, you know, from the water, mm-hmm. but, I found better signs, you know, walking in, right. better places walking in. And then you got the Kansas deal. You know, I went to some areas just to walk in and look. I run into people. I didn't find the sign I wanted to. So I went to the to the water access, and that's when I started finding less, you know, hunting pressure and more uh, deer signs. Right. So it's just another another weapon to take with you whenever you go. Right, right. And so did you, I can't remember in this one, did you put, were you using cameras on this one or, or not? No, I was not. You weren't. Okay. I was not because you cannot use cell cameras in Kansas during the hunting season. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So this was all just straight boots on the ground then trying to just track down, you know, track down the sign, right? Right. Yep. It's so, just a surprise. You go in there, you, <laughs> you know, there's deer coming through there, but we're fixing to find out what's going to happen. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So what, uh, you know, so you're looking for the things that you're looking for, right? Like you want that funnel, you know, or something that's going to, you know, push deer into a certain, you know, particular area. What, what is it? What was it about this spot that you ended up hunting on this particular day that you were like, yep, this is the spot. Well, I had went in there actually, couple days before i was i was hunting across the river in a in a funnel it was a big slough and we had the river right there and it was about an 80 yard you know gap there was a pretty decent trail coming through it um and i hunted there while i was watching across the river because you know it's about 300 yards and i could see across there and i seen some deer come around this point i got to looking on the map and i could tell it was like a an old crp field kind of grew up a bunch of little little small trees and cedars and mm-hmm. you know all that but i i seen that they was coming around this point right there and it was a tight spot between that crp field and the river mm-hmm. i was like man i, I want to go over there tomorrow morning and see what that looks like i ended up going over there and uh went in there and found some good sign i was like yeah, i'm gonna you know hunt this because i seen deer through here yesterday hunt it and see what happens seen several deer all day long but I was like, man, you know what? There, there's a better spot in here. I was like, this is a good spot. But I was like, there's something better. I just want to make sure, you know, that I'm either in the best spot or, you know, I'm either hunting the best spot. So I'm going to go find it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up, I seen in the weather forecast, there was a front coming in uh, on the 10th, which I think had been a couple of days, you know, ahead from when I hunted that spot. And I ended up making a big loop all the way around that crp field and found this one area and it was a it was a it was a tight spot in between the river and this crp field like a super narrow spot like mm-hmm. maybe 40 50 yard strip of wood okay and uh man there were scrapes all down the edge of this field this crp field and the crp was so thick that the deer wasn't going in it mm-hmm. they was they was traveling the edge and when i found that spot i was like man when this when this weather hits, this wind's gonna switch. And these deer be traveling this end 
because we was going to have a north wind when the weather hit. Mm-hmm. I was like, whenever this wind hits, these deer are going to be traveling this south side of this field just just because they can, you know, play the wind. They'll right. be able to smell anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what, what, what I found there. And it, it was just a perfect tight spot between the river and that field. And I knew I'd not been seeing deer go in that CRP. So I knew they was going to come through there. And I had those big scrapes right there in front of me. And uh, I got just downwind of them to play it and played where I could shoot back, you know, downwind of me, mm-hmm. but be able to shoot to the scrapes. Right. So, so <clears throat> that's interesting. Like the, uh, how often, you know, how often are you finding setups like planning for a wind switch? Because oh. that, I mean, because that's like one of those things where it's like, you know, that'll just throw deer out of whack, right? And like they'll have to move and make mistakes because they've been living on a southwest wind for six days or whatever, you know, and now all of a sudden it's a north wind or it's an east wind, like which east winds, like we never get them here. This year was like one of the first years we actually had a couple of days of east winds and like cameras were blowing up those days because deer were just now like, man, this is a wind that we don't ever get. Like, where am I going? They seem, I don't want to say confused, but they just have to make some changes that aren't like, aren't typical for them. Do you kind of find the same thing on those wind switches? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I love about, I love a wind switch during the day. You know, you can get a lot of them at night. You have a front come in during the day Mm -hmm. and then, you know, that night the wind will switch next morning to be, you know, a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. But if you ever get that major wind switch at the middle of the day Mm -hmm. when those deer are laying up and they've been laying there most of the time, especially a big buck, he's going to lay where he can see, you know, in front of him and have the wind coming at his back where he can smell anything behind him. But when he's laying there and all of a sudden that wind is hitting him in the face from where he's, you know, been looking mm-hmm. and he can't smell nothing behind him, he knows another area. Cause when you, when you, when you're a, if you're a deer and you live somewhere and you live in the wild, you've got several areas, you know, okay, this wind right here, I need to be there cause I can lay right. there and smell and see and be safe. Yeah. So, when that wind switches, especially during the day, they're gonna they want to get to a different area to mm-hmm. to to stay while that wind is that direction. So that's I really I really find you know wind switches being a big thing and getting deer up moving. Right. So this area now you're going into you're hunting it. So how did this how did this particular hunt play out with this deer? Well, I got in there. Um, I think it was twelve thirty or something. Um, because the wind, I mean, it was one of those days, the wind, the front hit, it was 70 degrees at nine o'clock that morning. And I'd hunted, you know, one of my other spots where I could hunt with a south wind that morning, seen a couple deer. And, uh, the weather was supposed to hit about 11 and it was going to start switching and come around and be out of the northwest by 12 and then be north by like one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a 180 wind switch in two or three hours. Mm-hmm. So I got down from the spot I was hunting that morning, walking back to the truck. This is actually a spot I'd walked into, the, the, the spot I'd hunted that morning. I was walking back to the truck, and the front hit me, and I, it immediately dropped five degrees. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could literally feel it in the air. Right. You know, immediately dropped five degrees, and I was like, ooh, I got to go quick. So I jumped the truck, took off. Uh, put the boat in and and got up there and uh, hadn't been sitting there 
probably an hour, maybe a little more, and had a little buck come pretty much the exact same way that the one I killed did come down. He stayed kind of below me a little further, about 20 yards, and he kind of went through and uh, never never smelled me like I, I thought he might because of the wind, but I guess I was up high enough and went, my wind was blowing over him and he was close enough to me. Right. You know, my wind was just blowing over him. It wasn't, you know, getting to him. He went on, and uh, it wasn't just maybe 20 minutes later, I was sitting there and I looked down below me and I could see a deer standing there. And I couldn't see the head. I could just see a body. But it immediately hit me as soon as I seen it. I was like, that's a buck. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, how, how, because deer there, you know, they're huge bodies. Deer, yeah. you know, a 150 pound deer around here is a big deer. But up there, two, 250, you know, that's yeah. pretty common. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh man, that's, that's a big deer. So you can see small bucks up there that's got a bigger body as a big deer around here does. So yeah. I was like, man, that's, a, that's no doubt a buck. And then he moved his head, and I seen his horns. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's." <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I was, I was expecting him to kind of stay down there where that little buck did, come around about twenty yards from me, which would have been, you know, perfect. But he didn't. He actually walked up the little hill there and got, you know, ten yards from me. And uh, I had one little hole. I actually drew back and I looked down my arrow to see if I can make it through, and I eased back up and got on the sight and shot. And when I did, I actually cut a limb off. Like, you watch the video back enough, the limb is gone. <laughs> and it, it, it hit him a little back, but uh, it got that artery. And uh, yeah, he didn't run 80 yards and fail. Yeah. But, uh, and the reason, I, the reason I didn't wait and let him get a little more to my right, uh, kind of more in the open, is because he was so close. I was worried he was fixing to either walk up there and look at me um, or walk and hit where I walked in, which I wasn't too worried about it, but there was a little bit of, you know, a little bit of brush on the ground that I had to, mm-hmm. had to walk and brush up against when I walked in there. So that was really the only thing that I was worried about. And a big deer, he don't take chances. I, I'm, I figured if he come up there and smell me, he wasn't going to stick around. He was going to, he was going to be gone. Yeah. As I was watching it, I was, because you said that in the post kind of interview or whatever. And, uh, and as I was watching it, I was like, oh man, he's, he's going to catch his ground set. He's going to catch, like, I was like, I was actually getting nervous for you while I was watching the video at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Man. And that was a killer buck too, man. He was, he was a hammer, dude. I mean, the buck in Wisconsin oh, was a good deer, but that, that deer was a, a hammer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, my second biggest deer for sure. He, uh, I ain't never seen brow pines on any deer like that. Yeah. Those were pretty ridiculous. Yeah, those were pretty ridiculous. But, uh, man, I got one more question for you, buddy, before, before I let you get out of here. I want to be sensitive to your time, but I always like to kind of close with this question. It's the hardest one. You ready? Okay. All right. So you're, so I know you don't watch a lot of sports, but you're making a, you're making a basketball team, a three on three basketball team, three guys, right? But the goal is, is that you're going to drop these three guys off with tags on a piece of public land in any state, anywhere. It doesn't matter. Like it just, it's just public land in general. And those three guys have to fill tags. Your life depends on it. Who are you picking to put on your team to fill those tags? You could know, you could, they could be dead. They could be alive. They could be people, you know, people you don't know. It doesn't matter. Just like if your life depended on it, three tags need to get filled on public land. Who are taking those three tags for you? Three, three people. Yep. 
number one, no doubt, is going to be the guy I do the show with, Mm -hmm. Jeremy. He's uh, guaranteed that. Yeah, he's a killer. Um, Oh, man. Let's see. Second. Second. Man, who? who, Probably. I'll uh, I'll say probably. Well, no, I don't know. Man, that's that. Told you it was the toughest one, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I gotta have three. I'm, I'm thinking here. I'm thinking. Uh, it could be anyone. Yeah, you could know them, not know them. They could be known, not known. They could be someone local. It doesn't matter who who they are. Okay, okay, okay. Um, well, there's a boy that hunts around not far from here, or he lives in a little town about 15 minutes from me. He's a good. He's a good killer too. Yeah. Um, I'd probably probably him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. And then one more, probably my cousin. Yeah, he 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 was he could really, he could kill some deer. Ain't no doubt about that. But he had a he had a daughter this year, so his his hunt may have slowed down. But I, at one time, I'd have no doubt put my money on him. Sure. Yeah, sounds like a good list to me, man. Sounds like sounds like you're gonna be sounds like you're gonna be safe. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident in that. Right. I sure am. Nice. Well, man, before I let you get going, buddy, why don't you let people know where they can find out more about you, where they can follow you, and where they can find out all the information they need to know about do-it-yourself outdoors. All right. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, for one thing, and watch all of our hunts. Um, I have Instagram, uh, Daniel underscore Lemon 19. Um, Facebook, we got our Facebook, uh, do-it-yourself hunter. Um, find me on Facebook. You know, I, I look at it some, and uh, I'll answer friend requests when I get them. Uh, Jeremy, the same way. Facebook. Uh, we're, we're fixing to try and start the TikTok and Instagram side with the Do It Yourself Hunter, uh, but we just we haven't really broke into that yet. We're not big social media guys, but supposedly that's the side we need to start. You know, kind of getting into. So we're fixing to start into that. And uh, be on TikTok and, and Instagram more with the with the do it yourself hunter stuff. Awesome, man! Well, I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Everyone should go check out their YouTube channel, give them a subscription or a sub, and uh, like their videos. They're awesome. They're some of my favorite videos to watch on YouTube. Daniel, brother, I appreciate you coming on and uh, be sensitive to your time here, and just just happy you were able to spend a spend an hour of your day with me. I appreciate it. Oh man, it was it was a pleasure. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. Before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Spartan Forge, Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.